Hi everybody! Welcome to the final episode for the year of 17 Karat K-Pop, a big year in review roundup. Recapping news, but first, my predictions. Let's revisit what I said would happen in 2023 at the start of the year. I'm quite proud about how many of these I got right. Here's what I predicted would be artists who had a big year. My top K-Pop artists to watch. I've absolutely... They wanted the GDAs, the Soul Music Awards, the Japan GDAs, the Global Heart Dream Awards, the Fact Music Awards, even the Brand of the Year Awards, the MMAs, the AAAs. This was also the year I've became the first ever girl group to get two perfect all kills for two separate songs in the span of just three weeks. Lots of big global momentum around their many singles this year, culminating in the world tour announcement for next year. Plus, they were part of KCON, and Wanyun, in particular, was booked and busy as an MC, a model, etc. They did seem to follow the formula this year that the Starship Vice President laid out in an interview we talked about previously on the show, that they were going to market IVE as a backwards methodology. So they start by thinking, envisioning, what does success look like for this single? What would that vision look like? Well, maybe it looks like a fun girls' night out concept or a fun aesthetic, new-to-them makeup choice. Whatever is a hit, then make it happen. And they definitely did work backwards in that way with those singles this year. They really showed their variety and that it factor. Kepler. Correct. They went to KCON this year, too. They won big at the Soul Music Awards, the Mamas, the AAAs, the Japan GDAs. They also had big successful comebacks, both with Korean and Japanese comebacks. And they worked on a clothing line, teaming up for a charitable proceeds partnership. I said it would be a big year for R&B, rock, rap, Korean artists globally besides just pop. I would say I was pretty accurate. Lots of artists toured North America this year, like Gemini, Juni, indie groups like Seisumi, Yeji, 10 Centimeters. Lots of variety with the genres of Korean artists now big enough to tour globally. Plus, Lee Eun-ji really had a big year and attended New York Fashion Week. Very happy for her. I predicted Eric Nam would have a big year. Yes, but complicated. One reason being the success of his world tour mixed with some cancellations, some acting projects he had teased before were either delayed or were always going to take way longer than I had expected. So his movie star turn, not complete yet, nor is the short film series he promised is coming to correspond with House on a Hill. He was, though, big at fashion events this year and with interviews, press ops. Still a pretty big year. New jeans. Yeah, I was right about that. Big, big, big year. An enormous amount of brand deals. Like, truly, we could spend so freaking long listing them all. From Dior to Chanel to Coca-Cola, Levi's, Apple. They also made tons of lists like Forbes 30 Under 30, Times Next Generation, Rolling Stone's Music Future list. They had the League of Legends partnership and showcase performance. They performed at the BBMAs. They are tapped to be in the New Year's Rock and Eve special. They starred in a special Tokyo fashion show. They broke a Guinness World Record for fastest K-pop act to reach a billion Spotify streams, among many other streaming feats. Tons of award show wins. Danielle got to sing the OST Party Your World for the dubbed version of The Little Mermaid. Of course, there was the Lollapalooza set, Need I Go On. 
Les Seraphim, correct. They had a big year in Japan. Japanese versions of Korean hit songs with new videos, plus a collab with Imase and with Adu. They had a first-of-its-kind partnership this year with Overwatch that got them a special BlizzCon performance. They were on the Today Show, Grammy's Global Spin Series. They also revealed their light stick, won a ton at award shows, got some big-time exciting collaborators for Bluebeard remixes. They were also on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Ha Yunjin kept up her solo single streak. New reality show and MC opportunities. They were everywhere. Then there's the world tour, which kind of got delayed a little, but they are still having a lot of momentum around them. Lots of buzz. Baby Monster. Yes, I would say they have had a good year. I mean, there are two songs right now as of recording time. Both have over 50 million views. Dream is 50 and actually Batter Up as of recording time has over 100 million already. The hype around Baby Blackpink, (laughs) Blackpink's sister group, I would say it's effectively built up. There's kind of a relatively underwhelming response to Batter Up. But maybe it's like Enmix and they have a ton of room to grow now that leaves people feeling like despite coming from a big company, they actually have this underdog status. Maybe that makes people more inclined to vouch for them, to support them, watch them grow. Mamamoo? Yup, their world tour was a big hit. Plus the member solo releases really just went off. Hwasa, we in. Moonbeal did some nice features, including one with David Yawn that I did not see enough conversation about. Plus, Mamamoo Plus had two special comebacks in fan meetings. They were booked and busy. Lastly, I said it would be a big year for Extenary Heroes. I would say so, maybe not in the same amount of different ways as the groups I just talked about, but they did announce their first world tour is coming next year, and had two really fun, exciting comebacks to show the world what they're made of. Here are the tours I predicted would come to North America. New Jeans? Nope, not yet. Le Seraphim? Maybe it was planned, but that whole tour has been pushed back. Card? Yep. Some got seven member, yup, Jackson Wang, and Bam Bam is set to come early next year. Dreamcatcher, yup. Espa, yup. TXT, yup. I've, sort of, because they'll be here next year. Kepler, no. Treasure, no. Speaking of tours, I predicted more shows would have the same issues like Epex had, where they would have last-minute cancellations, citing these unforeseen or out-of-our-control circumstances. There would be some strange cancellations of one-off events, people trying to be the next KCON or just have a successful show with an under-experienced backing or lack of planning. And I was pretty right to predict that. The boy band Great Guys had their whole tour called off because of visa issues. Other artists couldn't get to overseas events for various visa-related issues. ELAS tour left a lot of people feeling ripped off because of last-minute cancellations for odd reasons like, turns out we booked a wedding chapel or some other venue where the stage is way too small so not enough foresight. There was going to be a special K-pop show in London that was cancelled. There was also a special New Zealand-hosted K-pop event, K-Wave, which did happen, but there were some calls for refunds and complaints about alleged mishandling, mismanagement, disorganization. Like I've said many times before on this show, it's always so much harder to carry out a very organized event than people expect. 
So much planning goes into it, goes into every detail. And if you assume, how hard can it be? Well, good luck. Plus, with streaming and stuff, it's harder these days to know crowd size and gauge. Is there enough interest that will translate from an online crowd to an in-person crowd for this venue to be appropriate? Streaming kind of messed that all up. I mean, back in the day, you had to show up and get your ticket in person. So they could easily have a headcount situation. I predicted KCON New York would be back, which it was not. Like I said, there have been some disorganization complaints about that. It is newer, less experienced than KCON LA. It's always been kind of the junior varsity version. But I still wouldn't rule out that coming back sometime, especially with the KCON parent company really thriving these days. Speaking of big, thriving companies... I predicted we would see a continuation of what SM Entertainment was doing, forging ties with Saudi Arabia in their culture sector. Sure enough, that push continued. KCON Saudi Arabia came and went, drawing a crowd of 23,000, plus 3.5 million virtually. Super Junior became official ambassadors for Saudi Arabia's tourism authority. News that broke the same week, news broke about Kaiko, this big corporation, holding talks with Saudi Arabia about boosting the area's tourism in working together on new mobile infrastructure. However, it was interesting that in SM Entertainment's 3.0 plan in restructuring and the decision to cap NCT with just one more subunit based in Tokyo, it's interesting that then that means NCT Saudi is no more. That idea was scrapped. So that was an interesting trade-off. I guess they figured, let's redirect our resources to where we don't have PR yet. And we already do with Super Junior there, so let's turn elsewhere to keep expanding. That's my opinion. That they saw more long-term value in an NCT Tokyo. I predicted the BTS and Pharrell Williams collaboration would be the song of the summer. Yeah, that was that didn't happen as of recording time. No word on when that's out. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not till 2025. However, a BTS member, Jungkook, did have the song of the summer. 7, 3D, take your pick. I also predicted BTS's break would not make a huge negative dent in South Korea's status in terms of the world's most profitable music industries. I think it's a bit premature for me to say if that happened or not. One, because H2 data, second half of the year economic data, that's not official yet. To the members' absence from charts and stuff, not really felt because of the active individual activities. Three, there are just so many different factors that changed about the K-pop companies and their structures this year. So it's almost apples to oranges to say if they're doing better or worse in some ways. You can't just automatically credit a certain change in revenue with BTS because there's so many other factors you could say pointed to that trend. You can't isolate a variable here. It was a big year for HYBE, though, with HYBE America thriving, forming HYBE Latin America, ending a years-long feud with NBC. Plus, Mr. Bang was a special recipient of the Clive Davis Visionary Award and ranked on Billboard's Power 100 list. I predicted cassettes and other throwback themes for merch would gain popularity. 
I would say generally nostalgia was in, but maybe not as much as I'd expected. Although certainly I was right to predict new jeans would set trends. Their laid-back, girl-next-door, youthful, fresh-faced, understated style. Definitely I would see other groups and think, this is so new jeans inspired. Adia's debut, some triple S stuff. I predicted K-pop artists would keep being super hands-on in their work and releasing solo stuff on SoundCloud, YouTube, etc. Yup, and many joined TikTok, Weverse, other platforms, plus lots of rookies right out the gate already invested, getting to compose, write, contribute a lot to their own material, which is so exciting. We saw that with Kiss of Life. Right away they put their stamp on their stuff and I think it pays off. I predicted any attempts to start a, a copycat app, some sort of universe-style app for fan activity, a Weverse wannabe, would be unsuccessful. Media consolidation would stay pretty normal. That pretty much panned out, with the quote-unquote Kwanya Club hub, digital hub, being replaced and the SM Entertainment artist being transferred to Weverse. Plus sessions shut down. That was like a live stream subscription platform. Kevin Wu was behind it. They hosted some events affiliated with K-pop artists like the Joy Ruckus Club events. It abruptly, abruptly shut down. Like no warning. They threatened to kind of put power back in the hands of fans, upend the system. That didn't happen. It was an uphill battle. I predicted more older groups would try to have their own Brave Girls moment. A big revival, like Kara 2. That was true. Actually, they did have a Brave Girls moment revival with Brave Girls, rebranding and coming back as BB Girls. We also had the group Golden Girls, with stars from the 80s and 90s, plus some big grand returns. Maybe not the same extent as an older group, but by K-pop measurements of time, they really did take a, an extended break before we saw them again. Everglow, Golden Child, groups that came back after I started to worry they had just abruptly, quietly disbanded. I predicted more K-pop artists would venture into webtoons, webcomics, animated media. That definitely happened. Various hybrid artists, comics, you can now buy physical copies of. The Star Seekers, Dark Moon, Seven Fates Chaco, plus new webtoons we got from NCT and Rise. Would not be surprised if more rookies right out the gate use webtoons like Rise as part of their intro to the world. NCT 127 also had a separate comic book come out in print with Z2 Comics. Artists like Cravity incorporated comic book aesthetics into their videos. And this was the year CJ E&M signed a big deal with manga productions. Circling back, that memorandum of understanding is about co-producing and co-distributing with that Saudi Arabian company. I predicted Seventeen would get their own limited-time Apple Music radio show. And they did! Joshua and Vernon had the show called Summer Vacation with Joshua and Vernon. Plus, Joshua got a special home session, Apple Music exclusive, playlist curated. I predicted G-Dragon would have a big grand return, like a big Rolling Stone cover story, a big stadium show, some big comeback glory. I forgot that YG Entertainment affiliated artist timelines are like a calendar year off, add a calendar year onto your predicted dates for releases. So no, he's not come back yet, but as of recording time, he's been teasing big things for 2024. 
He totally cut ties, ready for a new chapter, and he also wants to get more into philanthropic pursuits and create this foundation to assist with those dealing with drug addiction, kind of warding people away from drugs to an educational facility. I predicted Blackpink would have a big year in the UK, which I was really on the nose about. Very excited about predicting that one. They did, not just because of the Hyde Park headlining that was historic, but they also attended the Korean State Banquet with South Korea's president at Buckingham Palace. And they got a special honor, the MBE status, that only two other musicians in history have ever gotten, Adele and the Beatles, and now Blackpink. They also, in Europe more broadly, had a very good year. They met with France's First Lady, performed at her charity concert, they performed Shutdown with a prize-winning violinist. I predicted Jisoo would have a solo debut that broke the other member solo debut records for sales and views. She did surpass the other members in many ways. She became Hanteo Chart's first-ever female solo artist to get a million-seller status. Lisa had a record on the Hanteo Charts that she did surpass. Lisa had 330k copies sold in her first week of La Lisa being out. Of GCZP, EP, me, over 876k copies were sold in one week. And again, big year in the UK, because in the UK Top 40, Flower became her entry into the ability to call herself the first female K-pop star to chart in their period. Plus, Flower became the fastest female K-pop solo song to reach 100 million Spotify streams. I predicted the show Jenny was on, The Idol, would break HBO Max streaming records. Not quite. Not only did it get less viewership after the premiere, rather than building on its own hype, but it ranked behind some others in terms of premiere viewership too. The White Lotus premiere got 944,000 viewers. Euphoria got 1.1 million, The Idol 913,000. So obviously not terrible, but it was not historic for the platform either. I predicted NMIX would keep trying to make mix pop happen despite the divisive reaction. They did actually abandon the habit they had of inserting a different song into the middle of the sound of the full different song, putting two songs in one, but then they went back to that trend with Sonyar. I predicted K-pop documentaries, docu-series on Disney Plus would contribute to a surge in Disney Plus subscribers. That's another one I think it's too soon to tell if I was right about. Once full 2023 streaming data is confirmed, I will update you all on how that panned out. But again, it's another thing where it's hard to isolate a variable and really prove the K-pop content drove the growth. Although actually maybe not so hard. Anyway, there was a lot of it with NCT 127, BTS stuff, TXTs, Super Junior. I also raised some questions at the start of the year that I had no answer for. Like I truly thought it was a 50-50 chance something would happen. Did not want to predict because I knew I might be wrong. But I really was curious what people thought and what the result would be for these questions. One thing I wondered endlessly was, would BTS win a Grammy? No, they didn't. However, it was a good year for global artists at the Grammys. They got some attention. Japan's Travis Japan got to attend an after party. I wondered, would Lightsome pull off their makeover? I'd say so. I'd say their grand return was pretty grand. Their sweeter sour comeback suited them. 
would we get clarity about which 17 solo releases count as part of the 13 tapes series? Not really, that's still kind of vague, but definitely we're still getting an ongoing series of solo tracks, which is what really matters. I really wondered if Momoland would stick together. The answer is no. A moment of appreciation for the other groups besides Momoland who left us must be D Once Disbanded, Snooper, TO1, plus some of my J-pop faves, Bish, Fakey, Femme. And I wondered, would Luna survive? They did in a splintered way. This summer, they were officially released from Blockberry Creative Ties, period. So with those contracts over, they really got to do some solo stuff on social media, to post more freely, to act more freely. Chu had a successful brief US tour and joined ETRP. She won a separate legal case against the company in August. Chu had a very cute comeback with Howl. Her solo stuff is just so cute and I'm glad it's getting recognized. Then quite a few of them joined Modhouse slash ArtMS. So we got cool comebacks from Out Eye Circle and Heejin, who featured other members in her algorithm video. And Heejin returned the favor and made a cameo in the Air Force One Out Eye Circle video. Then we had Lucemble, a combination of members under CTD ENM now. They toured the US and have been thriving with former Blackberry Creative employee Yoon Doyoung, which explains why I was so excited their comeback really did maintain a lot of the musical and thematic colors of OG Luna. Then there's Eve, who as of recording time is still exploring agency options. In conclusion, we still stand Luna now and in 2024. Then I made some predictions that were more manifestations, things I just really hope to speak into existence. The continuation of the fuzzy hat trend, maybe a little, thanks Joe Yuri. A do-over, Stray Kids and Sky High collab, no, but they did team up with another J-pop icon, Lisa, and hopefully another one next year too. More cinema, more soap opera level drama in music videos. Well, that depends on what artists you followed this year, but I mean, and hyphen, their storytelling was great. Not corny soap opera style. B2B had a comeback. That's always nice and melodramatic. Some K-pop to finally come to Summerfest. Still no, SMH. A deep lore or some fun backstory about the Paradise Diner. Nope, but tons of artists did still film music videos there, making me think again, what is with that venue, that setup? Do all these K-pop agencies have some sort of handshake about promising to use that place like 50 times a year? Lastly, I hope to manifest success in the US for Billy and Purple Kiss, underrated girl groups. Billy did have a good year. They also were at South by Southwest. They won their first ever K-pop show, K-pop music show. They had successful Japanese and Korean comebacks. But who I was more right about was Purple Kiss finally getting more hype with their U.S. tour that was quite expansive and really good, as I wrote about on Substack. Now let's recap the year in more K-pop news mixed with an episode guide. I'm going to summarize what you can hear more about, stories from news-themed episodes of the year, what I talked about on the show. I'll summarize an episode, then tell you the name of it. First of all, I reviewed the SM Entertainment New Year's Eve concert, decoded the Kwanya origin story-related videos, and recapped my complicated feelings about what they said in the pre-show sustainability presentation 
What about it seemed authentic versus for PR? Things like that. I assess all that in the episode called SM Town NYE 2023 Concert Rundown. In one episode, I offered a quick timeline of the past couple weeks that had occurred with drama between SM Entertainment and HYBE, business disputes. I broke down some of the economic jargon that would help understand stories like that in the future, mergers and acquisitions, a tender offer, etc. I also went into South Korea's Commercial Act, how that could apply here, what a court case outcome could be, and why so many artists outside of K-pop want to sell their catalogs now. That's all in the episode called Hybes and Lows. I made an episode with a big timeline of J-pop's history, how J-pop boy bands paved the way in certain respects, set a new foundation for global pop appeal, the history of karaoke, which is very fun and full of surprises, how Beatlemania played out in Asia, the Walkman effect, and Sony Japan's place in history, the biggest differences between J-pop and K-pop, what I think is in store in the future for J-pop, all that in the episode called J-pop's past, present, and future. Then I made an episode about the history, the highs and lows, of the C-pop world, as well as how Mandopop versus Cantopop became a thing, one rose in popularity, then fell, talked about how C-pop contrasts with J-pop and K-pop, talked about Canto rap's essence, and talked a bit about the complicated history of Hallyu waves in China. That's all in the episode called C-Pop 101. And I made an episode all about T-Pop and P-Pop. Relative fledgling industries, nevertheless still very interesting. That episode's called P-Pop and T-Pop 101. I had best of the month episodes and a bonus one in July just for the girl groups. So check that out for time spent just talking about Luna, New Jeans, Niju, Misamo, Kiss of Life, and Itzy. I had new episodes of NCT Talk, 17 Talk, other ongoing series. In 17 Talk Volume 14, I talked about not just the album Always Yours and the corresponding new videos, the Easter eggs and stuff, but also reflected on some personal reasons why I think, as an autistic person, I connect with 17's message about music as a language more than others. In one episode, I taught you a history lesson about K-pop merch, the origins of photocards, light sticks, etc., and talked about just the best, cutest, and most creative K-pop album packages and light stick designs ever. That's in the episode K-pop merch history. On episodes of Stay Tuned, I talked about a ton of random stories that have less to do with K-pop, more to do with the broader concert and music industries. So stay tuned episode 16 explained the baby shark torture case, the problem of artist burnout on the rise, a flash mob at a funeral, Ticketmaster and Live Nation's issues with the Department of Justice, Spotify's venture into AI, takeaways from Spotify's quarter 4 2022 results, artists protesting South by Southwest, studies about music to cure nightmares, a style that links some singers to bats, an orchestra that's bad by design, some vinyl record stats, there's a lot there. And in Stay Tuned episode 17, I go into the legal battles between Genius and Google, Twitter and music companies, Ticketmaster and the White House, the Internet Archive and a lot of artists and a lot of people, quite a history with that Wayback Machine type project. 
I talked about Spotify pulling out of Uruguay, but actually story update, since that episode came out, they have changed their mind. So Spotify is not pulling out of Uruguay like they threatened to if certain new copyright legislation was not clarified to them. I read it as, hey, can you confirm officially this copyright legislation change doesn't make us have to pay you more? And if it doesn't, okay. I talked about how Deezer is still around, more about music and AI, a frenzy over allegedly leaked Harry Styles demos, the legal dispute between South Korean broadband and Netflix, TikTok's latest choices, Bad Bunny's creative PR opportunity, and even more. In one episode, I gave tons of updates about tons of news. Crime stories, global stories, Blackpink stories, award show updates, and tons on the 50-50 ongoing legal saga with their agency that I broke down in Phantom of the Bopera. In one episode, I covered quite a lot, the legal dispute between Fantasy Boys member Yu Jun Wan and a company, Rain's accusation of being involved in a real estate scam, more 50-50 legal case updates, interesting takeaways from Mr. Bang's Bloomberg live interview, your poll winners when I asked you to vote for your song and show of the summer picks, and the revelations confirmed about Kitagawa's history of assault and the J-pop company that now decided to split up, try to kind of salvage the reputation with a victim compensation company separate from the rest of the company. It's a long story, big ramifications for J-pop and the whole world of secrecy that surrounded this guy. I break it all down in the episode called Queen Card, Queen K-A-R-D. In an episode where I talk about social media's most popular songs of the summer, talk about the crackdown on wearing rainbows in Beijing, and review Espa's Chicago concert, that's all in the episode called Espa Sync Hyperline Concert Review and Miscellaneous Headlines. I was feeling clever that day. I talked about the World Scout Jamboree that South Korea hosted. It led to a ton of issues, places leaving early to alleged robberies. There were a lot of issues throughout it. I broke down the timeline of what unfolded at that gathering, basically like a summer camp gone haywire. And I talk about the suppressed documentary about Kitagawa and his enablers. And then more 50-50 updates and some thoughts on KCON this year. That's all in Jam Jamboree. Jam Jam, open parenthesis, boree, close parenthesis. More legal updates when it comes to SM Entertainment versus Big Planet Made and XO members, plus legal updates for, yes, 50-50 again, plus some interesting, surprising stories like Steve Yu no longer getting denied a visa, a man posing as a producer to get some BTS files, the presidential contender who made bringing BTS to Mexico part of his platform, all that and more in ASA appeal, like an appeal. I talked about Ted Sarandos's visit to South Korea and what he had to say about K-cinema, K-dramas on Netflix and the future of that. I also talk about the new plan to set up a K-pop high school in Busan and recap my twice concert experience. That episode is The Odd Eye Circles in Your Favor. I mainly focus on Luna updates, Festa coverage, and the EXO versus SM Entertainment twisty legal saga in the episode called Blooming Days, Days D-A-Z-E. I recapped everything that went wrong with the E-Last U.S. tour, 
Taiwan's amendment to crack down on ticket scalpers, a Malaysian lawyer suing over a black pink ticket, what the Lee Soon Gi law would do, SM Entertainment's 3.0 plan, and I talked about the big focus on K Cinema at Cannes. That's all in SM 3.0. I talked about the Sphere, the famous Vegas venue, before it opened. I teased that, plus talked about the consequences of Ravi's military service evasion. I talked about the state of Hallyu globally, a weird Reddit feud about a tramp stamp, namely a rapper in trouble with authorities yet again, and recap Coachella 2023. That's all in Sphere I Am. I talked about more SM versus Hybe situations. The bombshell Rolling Stone report exposing the chaos on set of the show The Idol, the revelation a DKZ member was raised in a cult, and my thoughts on a bizarre TXT article. All that in an episode called K-Pop News Recap, March 2023. Again, a day I felt clever. Now, if you really want the origins backing up more about SM and HYBE in their relationship, it starts in the episode called NCT TOKAYO. T-O-K, parentheses around the A, and then YO. In an episode called P1 Harmony Concert Review and News Roundup, again, clever, I give lots of random updates, talk about Omega X winning their lawsuit against Spire Entertainment, and recap P1 Harmony's concert. Other new episodes this year included my interview with El Hay, an R&B artist who talked about working with Crush and I Am, and just his new independent creative direction. I talk with Max Cho about what it's like being a manager, what he does for his clients, a great analogy for his role with his clients, and his experiences working with Jimin and CL. In an interview with singer-songwriter Christy Youngs, we talked about her cool setup, The House of Creativity, H-A-U-S, her philosophy for songwriting, creative energy, and her time working on BTS and TXT songs. I also released an interview with Gubin, a super rookie. I had several episodes breaking down all the lore, all the Easter eggs, the deep dive of deep dives for some N-hyphen releases, for the webtoon Incompletion, The Star Seekers, for the webtoon Dark Moon, for Stray Kids albums, Five Star and Rockstar, for Lucembles debut, for DPR Ian's whole cinematic universe, start to finish, for NCT releases, TXT releases, plus a mega guide, a two-part episode about BTS's book. I also published a guide to Les Seraphim, Juhani's solo album, Taeyeon Shalala, Purple Kiss, in their whole discography, Billy's music video world, a big recap called Celebrating Luna about the whole Lunaverse, an episode that's a guide to New Jeans, an episode about Epic High Strawberry, a recap of NCT's concert, and some other episodes I'm just going to list the titles of and you'll know what it's about just from that. D-Day Deep Dive, Autism and the Power of Music, Remembering Moonbin, That Was a Remake? Okay, I'll add a note there. That episode is about the history of sampling, interpolations, and remakes in K-pop songs. Lots of surprises. Best K-pop times J-pop, J-pop released by K-pop artists ever. Espa Short Film 3, Recap. Guess the K-pop song, Volume 2, that's a fun game. And Naomi Klein, Nexus, in New Worlds. That episode, I spent so much time on. Please check out that one. I read a great book called Doppelganger by Naomi Klein about so much it's hard to succinctly summarize. 
But one of the things it touches on is the philosophy, the psychology, the deep origins of a doppelganger, a double, a mirrored version of yourself, and applies it to examples throughout pop culture history. So I use her psychological framing to better understand the deeper purposes of doubles, of clones, doppelgangers, whatever you want to call them, in SM Entertainment artist work, because there's a ton there. You'll see what I mean. I think it made for a very educational, interesting book recap meets psychoanalysis lesson meets SMCU deep dive. Really proud of that one. How about a lightning round of all the other stuff that happened in the K-pop world this year that I've not already covered in the form of an episode recap or a prediction? Buckle up, here we go. K-pop stars took over the fashion world. Jennie from Blackpink made it to Women's Wear Daily's Top 50 Women in Power list. Plus, there were so, so freaking many K-pop stars in New York Fashion Week, Seoul Fashion Week, Milan Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, you name it. Espa teamed up with lifestyle brand Urban Sophistication for a special three-part phone case collaboration. Zico got a special limited edition release with Shoe Care and Shoe Case. And there were so, so many big fashion partnerships. V with Cartier, Suga with NBA Apparel, Jimin with Dior and Tiffany and Company, Jungkook for Calvin Klein, Jenny for Calvin Klein, RM for Bottega Veneta, J-Hope for Louis Vuitton, and Hyphen for Prada, and the skincare brand Dr. Jart Plus, TXT for Dior and Kundal, Taeyeon for Loewe, Jungwoo for Tods, Doyeon for Dolce & Gabbana, Jeno for Ferragamo, J-Park for everything from Gucci to Sprite, I've members for various athleisure brands and beauty products, Sana from Twice for Prada, Dahyun for Michael Kors, Nayan for Givenchy and Swarovski, Jisoo for Dyson and Dunst, Mini from G Idol for Miu Miu, and Mian for Jimmy Choo, Hyunjin from Stray Kids became a Versace boy, Felix from Stray Kids became a Louis Vuitton house ambassador as did Le Seraphim, as did Rise, Winter is the New Face of Polo Ralph Lauren, Espa attended Cannes Film Fest as part of their Chopard ambassadorship, Kiss of Life performed at Seoul Fashion Week, Lee Yunji started repping Coach, Tiffany Yun for Moschino, I Could Go On and On, all the new jeans collabs, beauty, hair, jewelry, outfits, miscellaneous products, Jenny and Jackson Wang both attended the Met Gala, the latest in the 50-50 case, since we last talked about it, Attract filed civil lawsuits against three former members for compensation over alleged damages over the contract violations. Those suits also target their parents and two people affiliated with once partners, now rivals, called the Givers. So legal issues ongoing. Meanwhile, a politician in South Korea, Rep Ha Taekyun, introduced the 50-50 Act that would update the Popular Culture and Arts Act to the benefit of smaller agencies. But any effect that would have, or passage at all, very much in the future, not soon. SM Entertainment did lay out its 3.0 plan and acted good on some of it, offering a special hotline to call in tips reporting malicious commenters online. One part of the deal I have yet to see come to fruition, but would love to hold them to account over, is constant mental health care access for their artists. But anyway, they are focused now on the business, forming a new partnership with the UK TV company, Moon and Back. 
Black Pink's Rosé spoke at a mental health awareness event hosted by First Lady of the U.S., Jill Biden. Black Pink, the game came out. A new flower species was discovered in Thailand named after Lisa. There was a Born Pink World Tour pop-up experience in the U.S. this summer. At the Korean Brand Expo in Germany, Card and Stacy went to represent and perform. ATs helped represent K-pop at a special UK event. Cha Eun-woo became a Visit Korea Project ambassador. And the boys became ambassadors for the Korean Culture and Info Services. Netflix announced a plan to invest $2.5 billion in South Korean content throughout the next four years. Trends made a cameo at a special class at Yale and gave a lecture this past October. Chris Wu lost his appeal, so he's still locked up. Soon Lee officially was freed from prison. For meth possession, Don Spike was sentenced to probation, but then two years. Nam Taehyun got booked for DUI. Xinhua member Shin Hae-sun got his sentence after a drunk driving arrest, six months, suspended for a year probation. Keiko got raided, accused of market manipulation, and accused of artificially inflating stock prices to deflate a tender offer. More on that in past episodes. GOD member Kim Tae-woo confessed to illegal ambulance use, paying a private ambulance driver to get him quickly to an event for a non-emergency. Kyu-hyun suffered a minor injury in a knife attack. Things were dark this year, but in better news, here are all the K-pop and J-pop etc. tours that I kept track of throughout 2023. AB6, ESPA, AOMG Artists, Baby Metal, Bam Bam, The Boys, Balming Tiger, Bandmaid, Bang Yangook, Blackpink, Six, Cravity, DJ Hyo, Dreamcatcher, Elast, N Hyphen, Epic High, Eric Nam, Everglow, Gemini, G Idol, Icon, Ive, Jackson Wang, Jimmy Brown, Junie, JY Park, Kane Daniel, Card, Kingdom, Couple Shows with the Last Rockstars, Lim Yun Woon, Couple Shows, Lucemble, Mamamoo, NCT Dream, NCT 127, N Flying, N Mix, Omega X, 1OK Rock, 1US, Only One of, PH1, Purple Kiss, P1 Harmony, Radwimps, The Rose, Seisumi, Sean, Sike, Stacy, Stray Kids Encore Shows, Suga, Tribe, Triple S, Twice, TXT, Wei, Zykers, Yeji, Yuntak, 10 Centimeters. Korean artists were it at Coachella, different Lollapaloozas around the world, the Head in the Clouds Fest, both in LA and New York, the Crazy K-Pop Super Concert, South by Southwest, Rolling Loud Thailand, Espa performed at the Governor's Ball, Summer Stray Kids at the Global Citizen Fest, Jungkook there too, Alexa at Arthur Ashe Kids Day. There's a special mega lineup for the Immortal Sons taping in Newark. Lots of J-pop action at Atlanta's Anime Weekend. NCT Doji Jun appeared at Comic Con. The Rose performed at the Life is Beautiful Fest in Vegas. XG headlined a billboard showcase at South by Southwest Sydney. Bandmaid performed at quite a few festivals. Jungkook kicked off Good Morning America's Summer Concert Series. And Eric Nam helped headline the National Museum of Asian Arts Centennial Festival. Live Nation signed a multi-year strategic pact with JYP Entertainment to promote their artists. Lots of concert movies came out. For NCT, Seventeen, Kane Daniel, Mamamoo, BTS's Yet to Come show, Now Streaming, Sai's Summer Swag Concert, Went to Disney+, Plus. 
New reality shows included NCT Dream's Starstruck, NCT Universe Last Start, Vanner's new show Picnic Time, TXT's documentary Our Lost Summer came out, NMix's Mixplore, Persona Suli, No Clock, From and Hyphen, TXT were MTV's Push Artists back in April, a new KBS talk show came, The Seasons, Jay Park hosted season one, Lee Hyori is tapped to star in season four, by the way. The Onstage Navar weekly music program announced its end after 13 years. King Daniel returned to host season two of Street Dance Girls Fighter. We finally got the Wavy BuzzFeed puppy interview. Wendy and Rise member Unsook got to voice characters in the Korean dubbed version of Trolls Band Together. And Hyphen voiced a special underwater animated band for the Baby Shark movie and then got to be on the Baby Shark float in a Thanksgiving parade. New K-pop trained but not K-pop groups were in the works with the debut Dream Academy, A2K. Top and Jo Yuri joined the cast of Squid Game Season 2. Daesun hosted the trot show Living Legend. Alexa joined the voice cast of Ghost of Ruin and went to Comic-Con to promote it. Blackpink were one of the final ever guests on Carpool Karaoke. Twice, Le Seraphim, Jungkook, they were all on the Today Show this year. Stray Kids were on Jimmy Kimmel Live, as were J-pop group Adarashi Gako. TXT were on The Late Late Show, and Hyphen and Espa both had time on Good Morning America. Shonu and Hyunwan and Itzy both separately were on Good Day New York. BTS member Solo and Twice were on Fallon. Twice was on The Kelly Clarkson Show. Twice became the first female act to ever headline a sold-out MetLife Stadium show and headline a sold-out SoFi Stadium show. This never doesn't make me laugh. Teen Top members Neil and Ricky started a YouTube show called We Are Alive, like to remind you. A new Mnet show launched, Mnet Prime show, where artists collaborate and do each other's songs. G-Idol and Psy kicked off the show. Swings self-funded a concert, making tickets free. A producer who spent time behind bars for vote rigging in Produce 101 got to work for Mnet again. Blackpink had a massive, massive moment headlining Coachella with basically a full concert's worth of performances. AOMG started a subsidiary focused on DJ and producer work, Solabeam Records. DPR Live rebranded and now goes by his real name, Han Dobbin. So many contract renewals I could spend all day talking about. The biggest ones, Blackpink's renewals with YG and BTS's with HYBE. Renewed basically indefinitely for 2025 onwards. When it comes to the biggest K-pop importers in the first half of the year, Japan got first place, US second, and China third. There were tons of lightstick reveals, fandom name reveals, new merch like Twice's phone cases, BT21 Doc Martens, Espa Crocs, new BTS Legos, The Rose's new plushy alter egos, The Rosebuds, new Blackpink Funkos, Blackpink Starbucks merch, even BTS Permission to Dance themed sandals. KCON was fine, but the weather wasn't great, and rain faced a black ocean of light sticks. Where is Cypher? This year they expanded, though, so there were three nights of concerts instead of two. Dawn and Hyuna are now both at the same company again. Not back together, but the rom-com potential writes itself, people. Lee Arum from Tiara announced she's getting divorced and remarrying. Pure D, a YouTuber and special effects artist, and JB broke up. 
Yul Hee and Ming Huan from FT Island are divorcing after five years together. Jamie went on Instagram and exposed her boyfriend for cheating. New babies for Ben, B.Y., John Park, Una Kim, Honey J, Eric from Xinhua. There were tons of new marriages and engagements. A ton of faves enlisted, but some were discharged too. Baekhyun, Taemin, Shonu, everyone in ONF, Han Soon Woo, P.O., Jun from Ace. There was a lot of digital activity from twice as one-of-a-kind immersive Roblox takeover to Monster X's Fortnite show to Espa's digital outfit series marking Paper Magazine's first Web3 experiment. There was a big boost in digital stars too, CGI artists, not just Espa's alter egos, but the boy band Plave is 2D, Maeve is 3D, Miku's still out here thriving, Eternity, Superkind, Heartsteel, Apoki, plus artists who are famous for just singing covers, anime songs, Vocaloid songs, like Ado, they tour the US now, they're popular beyond Asia. There were some big moments in outer space this year. The group called Sent Into Space worked with Seventeen so the Gata Music disco ball themed microphone could literally go to space. There was a custom spacecraft built in three days for the job. So for over two hours on October 10th, that microphone was in space, launched from a site in the UK. Apparently, Sent Into Space has been working on this stuff since 2011, so they've experienced with movie footage, research projects, even sending ashes up in space. Yoonha discussed a new era of space exploration for South Korea with the president, which is kind of random. I mean, she sings about outer space, but... And then boy group Tan revealed their song, Walking on the Moon, is in space, a Christmas Eve special, part of a time capsule flight from Celestis. Creating what they call a cosmic archive, Celestis is bound for deep space, putting like a time capsule there with tons of stuff, including DNA, cremated remains, and data for over 200 individuals, including Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek. All this outer space talk this year must have been the power of Dio's acting performance. An update on South Korea's bid to host the World Expo in Busan. Despite pulling out all the stops from a BTS concert to a bajillion other ways they try to vouch for their status as deserving to host it, Saudi Arabia won. So the World Expo 2030 is going to Saudi Arabia which earned 119 of the 165 secret ballot votes during a meeting in Paris. South Korea got 29 votes. 119, Saudi Arabia, 29, Busan. Very disappointing, frankly. They pulled out all the stops. They started back in July 2022 with the bidding committee launch. They then circled the world. These government and business heads circled the world a combined 495 times to rally support for their bid. They met with over 3,000 heads of state, officials from over 175 countries, and talked to over 800 high-level officials. Plus, they allocated a budget of $5.7 billion to this bidding, although Saudi Arabia's budget for bidding for their title was not 5.7, it was 7.8, so much bigger. However, like the World Jamboree fiasco, they really take it in stride. South Korea seems to have this admirable sense of seeing the bright side in hard times. And now, they say this really helped, just the country's reputation even if they ultimately didn't win.
As put by the Korea Chamber of Commerce and Industry, quote, the united efforts of the people have not only raised Korea's national competitiveness to the next level, but also expanded the global horizon for the country's industries, unquote. I worry that the fiasco of the jamboree really was the deciding factor against them. If that had gone off smoothly, I wonder if they could have won. But then again, that's a big gap. Would that be enough vote switch to them to counter Saudi Arabia votes? Not sure. Cha Eun-woo held his first ever photo exhibition. Twice his big year continued with the Empire State Building lit up in their signature colors. And they got a special honor with the Breakthrough Award at the Billboard Women in Music event in L.A. ESPO were featured on this year's 25 Most Influential Women list put together by Financial Times. Asian Hall of Fame inductees included Lisa from Blackpink. Throwing out the first pitch at baseball games included Jansomi, Espa, JSF from Card. Plus, Alexa performed at the LA Clippers halftime. A brief in memoriam to some of those we lost this year. Electronic music pioneer and icon Ryuchi Sakamoto, Moonbin, Nahi, Heisu, Coco Lee, Wayne Liu, and Charlie Park. Let's talk a bit about specifically 17's epic year. There was so much that happened, so another lightning round, refresher, more detail of course in all these past episodes from throughout the year. We got two group-wide comebacks, not counting the Japanese release, Always Yours but also FML and 17th Heaven. Plus lots of OSTs from DK, Dino, Soon June released a great solo song, Psycho. And finally, two years later, finally gave us more than the minute-long version of Fall in Love. DK released a cover of Baekhyun's Amusement Park. We got other covers this year, like Hoshi's cover of Day 6's Hurt Road. Hoshi also gifted us a special song he self-composed on his birthday called Stay. Still waiting to get to stream that as of recording time, but fingers crossed. And one of the most epic collabs of the year, maybe of my life, Joshua, DK, and Dino teaming up for a remix of Dirty Dancin' by New Kids on the Block. Such a big moment. Vernon got to jump on Sikhe's album and was part of the single Miss You. Jesuit and Vernon had a limited time Apple radio show in the summer. The group made history with their big UNESCO Youth Forum speech and performance. They had some great things to say about what June said, quote, where there is a friend, there is confidence and courage, unquote. And they kept the positive togetherness ethos going with five special performances. So proud of them. They got a big Polestar cover story that recapped a ton of interesting stats about their just monumental successes in terms of touring. And some Sweet 17 quotes about their sense of obligation to make the live shows really worth our while, valuing the people who take time to go see them. And they celebrated with us back at Caroland in March, where Esku revealed an album teaser on day one when he was supposed to reveal it on Caroland day three, but we love Vernon joined BSS for that fighting version. Carrotland also featured beautiful handwritten signs from their parents that they teared up over. Lots of performances, tons of dance play, song covers, dance covers, beautiful sentimental words like from Joshua about we feel like we can fully open up and be ourselves. No holds barred with you guys. Super sweet. The group re-released some of their out-of-print oldest albums, which was so exciting. The BSS subunit gave us the second wind gem of an EP and brought some much-deserved attention to Lee Yunji. 
They also won their first music show win as a subunit on Show Champion and performed as a subunit at the V-League Awards. They had big shows in Japan and Seoul. They've been teasing the Nana Tour with Seventeen, a European travel variety show, which is out January 5th, 2024. They performed at so many big live events, plus had cameos on Game Caterers, Amazing Saturday, Return of Superman, Hoshi was a guest on Suga's YouTube show, Dino guested on Lee Mujin's service, June's show premiered in July, Exclusive Fairy Tale. They were back on MTV's Fresh Out as a group. Woozy was also on Suga's show. SQ was on the Do Guest show. The Eight joined the cast of Youth Paraplus Season 4. Sungwon and Vernon were guests on the Teo YouTube channel. They had tons of covers, some as individuals, some together. A limited time Rolling Stone zine and covers of Vogue Korea, Home Plus China, Men's No No Japan, Cosmo Korea, Nylon Japan, Star One, and El Korea. They were all over Fashion Week. Joshua also modeled for NBA Korea and Givenchy Beauty. Mingyu modeled for Anus Free, among others. Vernon became the new Kenzo Global Ambassador. They released version 3 of their light stick. They had a special 17th Street exhibition back in March. They released quite a few special choreography videos. They won a Bonsang at the Soul Music Awards, three Golden Disc Awards, Album of the Year at the Hanteo Awards, two at the Tencent Music Entertainment Awards, where they also performed, and June got a solo award there. Dino's Danceology was back, as was just, we continued to get cool, special choreography-focused alternative videos. 17th Heaven became the first K-pop album to surpass 5 million sales in one week. They also made Hanteo chart history by selling over 4.6 million copies in one week. And among way too many chart achievements to keep listing here, FML became 17's first Korean album to get the million certification from the recording industry of Japan, with over a million copies sold there. The group surpassed 10 million YouTube subscribers. Two of their videos surpassed 100 million views, Rock With You and Super. They broke BTS's Map of the Soul record to sell even more album copies, selling 6.2 million of FML in just a little over two months. They were the only K-pop artist on the mid-year box scores chart from Billboard, ranking 27th for over $30 million from their concerts over eight shows. Amidst all the success, they did have some big health issues this year. Junhan needed surgery, Esku needed surgery, the eight fractured part of his clavicle, Sungguan had various health-related reasons for a hiatus, Mingyu had big back pain, but that actually really magically quickly healed itself, or so they say. So a very physically grueling year, they really gave it their all, a blood, sweat, and tears-filled year. Lots of groups debuted this year, including Adya, Ampersand One, Baby Monster, Boy Next Door, BXB, Catch the Yun, East Shine, Eite, Even, Fantasy Boys, Haw, Triple I, Kiss of Life, Loosemble, Lunate, One Pact, Pow, Primrose, QWER, Rise, TIOT, We Uh, We Us, WHIB, The Wind, Zykers, Yun Posse, Zero Base One, Eight Turn, and 82 Major. 
Lots of big solo debuts this year, too, from Jay from Icon to Hannah Bon, Bang Chain's sister, Jay Chan from DKZ, Hui Yun from SF9, Jiho from Twice, Ginny, formerly of Enmix, Niju, formerly of Lovelies, Ren from New East, Sujin, formerly of G Idol, Y from Golden Child, Lim Yunmin from AB6, Roa from Rocking Doll. I could go on and on. Last but not least, People on Time's Next Generation list this year included New Jeans and Stray Kids. That was a ton of coverage. That was your year in review. Thank you all for sticking with me as I walked through it all with you. Thank you all so, so, so much. It truly means the world to me. Everyone who's listened to the show, checked out the newsletter, you truly make it possible to keep doing it. So thank you for helping and supporting independent voices like mine. I'm eternally grateful, and I can't wait to see what we get to do and what heights we go to in 2024. Talk again very soon. Thank you all so much. Bye, everybody.